Jesus said the kingdom of heaven is like a householder who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard. After agreeing with the laborers for a denarius a day, he sent them into the vineyard. And going out about the third hour, he saw others standing unemployed in the marketplace and said to them, you go into the vineyard too, and whatever is just, right and just, I will give you. So they went. Going out again about the sixth hour and the ninth hour, he did the same. And about the eleventh hour, he went out and found others standing, and he said to them, Why do you stand here unemployed all day? They said to him, Because no one has hired us. And he said to them, You go into the vineyard too. And when evening came, the Lord of the vineyard said to his steward, Call the laborers and pay them the wage beginning from the last up to the first. And when those hired about the eleventh hour came, each of them received a denarius. Now when the first came, they thought they would receive more, but each of them said, received a denarius, and after receiving it, they grumbled at the householder, saying, These last worked only one hour, and you've made them equal to us, who have borne the burden of the day and the scorching heat. But he replied to one of them, You friend, doing the shouting, I'm doing you no injustice. Did you not agree with me for the denarius? Take what belongs to you and leave. I chose to give you this last as I give it I chose to give to this last as I give to you. Am I not allowed to do what I chose with what belongs to me? Or is your eye evil because I am good? So Jesus said the last will be first and the first will be last. Thanks, Karen. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to Matthew 20. Um, Again, we're in a season as a faith family as we start every new year off in this time where we're kind of having our vision corrected a little bit, uh, where we um, recognize the fundamental truth that as, um, the really the fundamental truth that shapes all of our life, right? That Jesus doesn't just give us a way to life, but actually shows us how to live life. Um, and that the good news of the gospel, the gospel that all we have, that God is with us and God is for us, the, the good news that in our need we have the one who provides, the good news that in our um, lack of ability to see a way forward in life, to, know, to live life on our own and to abundance, that it's been provided for us, the good news that, as Jesus would say in Mark's gospel, is the kingdom has come. The good news that we can turn and let go of one kingdom and grab into and hold on to the kingdom of God. Like that news shapes our life, gives shape to every reality of our life. But like it is this life that is in Jesus, the life as, uh, as Chaz read for us from Isaiah, a life that gives us life, that sets all things right, that we're after, a life of grace and truth, the true light that enlightens us to that reality, is also a light that we tend to miss at times. That, um, that our propensity as humans, even as ones who long to follow Jesus, who long to live a life well and righteous, which I assume all of us do, we tend to miss and misunderstand the nature of the king and the kingdom that he has dominion over, the kingdom that he rules and reigns, the life that we live. And so because we assume that, um, because we, um, we long for the clarity of the kingdom, because we long for, honestly, the, the confidence to live rightly in the kingdom, um, we freely admit that we don't always see completely well. And so we start the year in that confession, that the gospel is all that we have, 
that we need and long to see rightly. And the way that we see rightly is through the way that Jesus gives us. And the way Jesus gives us obviously comes in his life, his actions, his attitudes, his teachings, in the way he describes and talks about who God is and how God's working, but comes almost most profoundly to us, most engaging of our hearts and imaginations through the parables, through the stories that he tells, the stories of intent, stories that are told, again, to help clarify it for us and give us confidence in living in the light that is him. And so last week we looked at the parable, um, that kind of lays the foundation for the nature and person of the servant king in the kingdom that he leads, the parable of the humiliating father. And this week, we're going to build on that a little bit. So even if you didn't hear it last week, like you'll be okay, you'll pick up, you'll be able to, to stay with where we're going. But we're building on this foundational parable, this foundational story that Jesus told to give us more than a description of life with him, but gave us a, a, an image to help us live it out, to shape the way we see our world, our place in the world, our relationship with God and our relationship to others. So that even as we read in Isaiah again this morning, that we might actually be ones who have received light and reflect it, receive light and show light. And so today we enter into the story of the compassionate householder. Now, we've, we've labeled these parables something a little bit different than, the, than the, probably the label in your Bible. <laughs> um, because our tendency as humans is to make ourselves the center of the story, right? Like, that, that's true of us as individuals. It's true of us as a collective. I mean, think about it just for a second. Like, if, if I go into, into the Bible that I have um, um, right here, it's an ESV translation. It's a, it's a good translation, a good, trustworthy worthy translation. It's broken up, and it's, it has all these different labels on it, right? And the labels aren't wrong or bad, but what, if, what did we label last week's parable? Isn't it known as the, the prodigal son, right? We identify the one who either we feel like we're most like, we're like the prodigal, or the easiest person to vilify, right? He's, he's the one we don't want to be like. But either way, like we're kind of the center of that story, right? Like that, the way we label it kind of puts us, either the person we identify with or the person we don't want to identify with as the central character. And in, in today's parable, if you look, at least in my translation, um, it says labors in the vineyard is how it labor, labels this parable. Again, once again, it takes the, the people in the parable who we would most count ourselves as, we would most identify with, and makes them the central character. And yet, what we saw last week is the central character of both parables is not the ones that are um, receiving, but the one who's giving. The actual center of the story is not those who find themselves at the mercy of the one with the means for life, the father character in last week's parable, the householder in this week's parable, but rather it is that one who actually has the means who's the center of the story, whose character and nature shapes everything that happens in the story. Everything that happens is not shaped by the, the labors in the, in the vineyard or the prodigal or his older brother. Everything that happens is shaped by the one who has life, by the central character who is the father in the first story and the householder in this story. The, in so doing, we are enlightened to um, Again, the nature of the king and his kingdom. And so like even, even I, I, I point that out only because like our tendency again is to just look for ourselves in the story. 
But the reality is we'll find ourselves in the story most accurately and truly when we look at the one who is the center of the story, right? Like we'll, we'll miss and misunderstand if we kind of make ourselves the central theme, but we'll, get our, we'll figure ourselves out right. We'll see ourselves clearly when we see the one who is the central theme, right? Okay. So in, in, if, depending on your translation, most likely the, the person in, the, in the, the central character of this story um, is labeled in your first meeting of him as either the master of the household or um, the owner, right? Like it probably didn't read like Karen just read for us householder. But in the original language, that's the, that's the term. And I think it's important for us to, to note the term for two reasons. One, the title gives us an image of the main character in his actions and what he's doing. A householder is someone who sets the ethics of the house, who sets the tone of the house, who sets the rhythms of the house, the expectations of the home. Everything that the householder does is to set the expectations of all those that are within the care of the home. He's to set the tone for it, the character of it, the nature of it, right? So he's creating the culture of the house. That's what a householder is. That's what the term means in the original language. And so it's, it's one whose responsibility is to set the character and nature of the home the, the owner of the home, the ownership of the home, what the home has dominion over, and the expectations of all those that live in the home, right? That receive from the home, that, that work for the home, that grow up in the home. And so to call him a householder is really important because that's what he's doing. He's setting for us the character and nature of life in the home, in the kingdom, in the household, in the laboring, in the field that we're gonna go work in, Right? He's setting the, the nature and character of it, not just doling out tasks, right? Okay, and second, the reason it's important for us to, to acknowledge that the term is a little bit different um, is that in verse eight, the term switches. He moves from being a householder in the first verse, in the first, in the first introduction, to being the Lord of the vineyard. And that twist, that turn would have been a shocking revelation for all those who were listening to the story. And we miss that sometimes in our translations because we assume at the beginning that he's the owner, right? But at the beginning of the story, as Jesus tells it, he wouldn't have been. He would have been a householder, one who was under authority in, in his own right, who had a huge responsibility and task, who was foundational to the characteristic of everything that happens, but who himself was a hired person. But all of a sudden, the supposedly hired one is the one who's the Lord of the vineyard. And in the fashion of Jesus, as Jesus does, it would have been like a little bit of a twist that would have thrown everybody's idea and perception of where the story was going in a different direction. And so for us, I want to point it out at the beginning because we kind of lose some of that in our translation. But again, like the shock would have been there. So kind of let yourself, let it sink in for half a second. that This story paints a picture of one who's a hired servant, who has high responsibility, Setting, the, doing this task, setting the characteristics of the home, but who we find out later is actually the Lord of the vineyard himself. Not a hired servant, but the actual head of the household. Like, like that, that's everything kind of like is changed when we begin to see the kind of shocking nature of that. And in first century, um, especially in the first century, that would, have been, that would have been a completely unexpected thing. It's expected that a householder kind of, a little bit, does what he, he does in the story, it would be completely unexpected for that person to be the Lord of the vineyard, okay? Okay, with that noted, 
we'll kind of do a little bit what we did last week, except I'll go faster, because I want us to have some time to discuss um, um, with each other some of the implications of this for our life. Um, um, but I'll try to give us a little more cultural understanding of what's happening so that we can draw out some of these things. But I want to say this, um, both for last week's parable, this week's, and even the coming weeks ahead, that there's always more going on in these stories than we can ever talk about in these, these moments. So if you have been taking advantage of the resources and the kind of um, uh, invitation to immerse yourself in these parables during the week, some of the things that we talk about today, you might not have thought of, you might or might seem different than what you came up with or whatever, what you discovered in your own engagement with it, whether yourself or with your community. And, and listen, that's, that's not to say that you missed it. It's to say that it's, there's, there's always just more depth and beauty than, than any one kind of look at it can give us. And so it's an addition to what you have discovered. It's not some sort of correction of what you've discovered most likely, right? And so be encouraged in that, that, that you need to, we need to, and always keep coming back into the depths of these things, to the depths of these stories. A one-time telling of the story is never enough. A one-time engagement of it is never enough. There's always a richness in a, in a new discovery to be had as we engage in, in these stories, okay? All right, so let me start out by pointing the obvious. Um, the householder needs extra workers, right? That's how the story begins. The householder needs extra workers. It, it's a, he's, he's got a whole vineyard, a huge vineyard, a massive enough vineyard that they, he has, he's able to hire a bunch of people to work in it, which means he also has regular workers already there. He, these are, he's going to a place where he needs more. So he has plenty. He has, he has lots who are already in and working, regularly employed people, and so he needs extra workers. And so he goes to a, uh, a, a, essentially a place where, there's, where you can hire day laborers, right? And has anybody ever seen an area of town where you see day laborers waiting to, be, um, to find work? Um, so when I started... Uh, um, uh, at, uh, early on in ministry, I, I started at a church and one of the, the, my responsibilities was kind of to get to know the community, to serve the community, all those kind of things. And so um, in between my apartment, Deidre and I's apartment and, and the church building uh, was a place where hundreds of day laborers started their day. Um, and so, um, so I would just go and cook breakfast and, um, and then eventually other people came with me, but like we would just cook breakfast for day laborers three times a week. And, um, and even though we had language differences or whatever, um, what I really began to discover as I did that was a lot of these, these men, it's, these, it was almost exclusively men, um, had come long distances, had traveled, uh, uh, given up a lot, but almost all of them had families back in the country that they had left, and they were, they were um, both, both desperate for, um, for provision um, in the sense of like they were like they re- they came here in order to provide. They came here with a purpose to create provision for their family. Um, but they also had this like just incredible dignity about about them, like a willingness to not just consume but to contribute because they had skills. They were really they knew they had skills and they had something to offer to the community here and to their community back home. And so when we hear the word unemployed and day laborers. Like this is a picture of people who are people who desire to use their giftings and abilities for the contribution of their family. That's why they're there. They're, they're not there because they couldn't get a job somewhere else. They're, they're, they're not there because they couldn't do something. They're there because they can do something and they just don't have an opportunity to do it. 
They're there because they long to be able to do something for their own sake and for the sake of others, to be ones who are fully human, to be the ones who are created good and created for work. I mean, you remember in the Genesis story, before the fall, right? Adam is given work to do. He's created to contribute to something, to be a part of something. And what I discovered over years of getting to to serve and, and have breakfast with day laborers, whose work ethic was 10 times mine, whose willingness and humility was 10 times mine, was that that's all they longed for. And that's what they were willing to wait hours every day to be dependent upon someone else to offer them. Not offer them a handout, not offer them just something to, out of pity, but to offer them the opportunity to be who they were created to be. Contributors, ones with dignity, ones who long to provide. And so we find that this story starts with a, a householder who has this extra work, and there's this place in the city that has day laborers. All those whom the householder finds have a desire for work, the ability to contribute to something, and a need for a living wage. That's important, right? They have a desire, they have a need, they have a willingness, they have the humility to be dependent. Like the younger brother on his return, they are aware of their dependence upon others. It's not that they're, they're, that they're like, like unwilling to go try on their own. This is how they're trying on their own. They know that they need somebody else who has resources in order for their life to have resources, but they want to be ones who have the dignity of contributing in those resources. And so this isn't a social commentary. What I'm trying to paint a picture of is that these people are trying to be human in their fullest sense. And the employer, the householder knows that. And so he finds there a plethora of the dignified, the capable, the desirous, and the needy. And he hires a crew and he agrees to pay them a denarius. Now, a denarius is a wage um, that is a bit more than a required for living. So like we sometimes maybe have heard of this denarius, that's just a general day's wage. So in the first century, 200 denarii would have been like the basic living wage for a family. So 200 denarii. So that's not a denarius a day. That's not 365. So to get a, a denarius for just one day's work would be like the high end pay for the, for the, for the day. It's not, it's not like extravagant. It's not gonna set you off to where you don't have to work tomorrow, like that you don't need to have um, a couple days an opportunity to come back and find employment again or to have resources for your family. But it's, it's more than enough. It's not just enough. It's not barely scratching by enough. It's more than enough. It's plenty, right? Just like the, the, the prodigal son, when he remembered that the workers in his father's house had more than enough to eat and he was on scraps. So, so the, the, the householder offers more than enough, which is high end and kind of unexpected a little bit, especially if this guy owns a lot of land, has been doing this for a while. He's, he's going to pay what the expected wage would be, which would be just enough, barely the requirement, right? I mean, that's why a lot of people go to the day labor spots because they don't want to pay a living wage. They want to pay an under living wage, right? He is not that. He's not taking advantage of their need. He's actually providing a bit more than their need, right? He's providing what they long for, a job and dignity, enough food to be able to take home to their family, to provide for their family, the resources to do so, and to have a little bit extra. Like he's giving them, he's providing a generosity to the thing that they long for and that they need. So 
That would be a little bit odd, but other, other than that, the story doesn't start off too strange, right? This was a common action in the, in the first century. But here's where the, the, the story begins to turn. Again, like the householder is a bit generous, maybe a little bit foolish, unwise in, how, how in his generosity and offering this, because it doesn't say they, they bargained. It just says he offered this and they accepted this, right? And so they agreed upon this. And so he, he offers in this high end, which seems maybe... Maybe he's just not super aware of what's going on or whatever, but like nothing too strange. But at this point, the story begins to take a twist after twist after twist after twist. A few hours later, the householder returns for more workers. This time though, he offers them only that that which is just or fair, right? That's what the scripture says. Offer you that which is right. And so two things are happening here. One, he returns for more workers. Why did they need more workers? I mean, he's a householder who's done this for a while, right? Like he's like, did he mismanage how much work there was to be done? Did he misunderstand what, uh, like what was supposed to be happening in the fields? Like, so like if he's a good householder and he's been there for a while, he would not make that kind of mistake. He would know based on who he has, his foremen that are there, all that kind of stuff, how much work he, workers he actually needs. He would have gone and grabbed them and the first time that would have been it. He would have had all that he needed to. And so there's not really a need to come back unless something unexpected happens or... He just was not a good judge of uh, what he needed. And so he comes back. And then when he comes back, he doesn't bargain. He just says, I'll give you what's fair. And here's the thing. They accept that. And in their acceptance of that, the day laborer's acceptance of that, the laborer's acceptance of that, what we learn about the, the householder is that he's trusted and experienced. You do not, as a day laborer, accept, I'll just give you what I, what, whatever, whatever at the end of the day is fair, you don't accept that from some guy who looks like he's a scoundrel or looks like he's a young, inexperienced person. You only accept that if like, somebody has had a history and a reputation of giving what's fair and just. So we learn really quickly in the first century, again, this would all been, been normative in the, in the first century, they would have picked up on this, that the householder is neither inexperienced or foolish or a bad manager of his, of his land in his household, his responsibilities. So when he comes back, there must be another reason he's coming back. Again, maybe the first time it's just because something went wrong on the, on the field. Maybe it's like, oh my goodness, we got into this. The harvest is bigger than I thought it was gonna be. The, um, the pruning is gonna, is gonna be much more expansive than we need. Maybe, hey, there's gonna be a huge storm coming in. We started to notice the weather change and we gotta get this done really quickly kind of thing. That, that could have kind of been the expectation of this second go around, but he doesn't just come back once. It, it says he, uh, he keeps coming back. He, he, he comes back again and again and again. And again, he should have known how much things cost, how much are needed. And so his return for the third time to the underemployed, the unemployed, not idle in verse three, it's not idle in the ESV, that's the way we translate it, but it's just the word unemployed. It's just the ones who have not had the opportunity to be fully who they are and what they're made for. That's what it is, right? They're unemployed. They haven't been empowered to be fully who they are and what they're made for. They're not lazy. They're still there. Again, as working with day day laborers, being there at six in the morning when they got there to, to see how the flow of traffic works of people coming in and out, to stay there is not lazy if you don't get picked up in the first go around of things. To stay there is to desire the very thing that everybody else got to be a part of, to hold out hope for it, 
to, to be one who has some character to not just go off into laziness, but to continue to expect the opportunity for, to be, again, to work, to be a contributor. And so he goes back and he says for the, to, to those who are unemployed, and then he comes back a fourth time a few hours later, and finally, with just an hour of sunlight left, he goes out a fifth time. Each outing, the householder makes a humiliating trek. Every time that, the, the, that they heard that the householder is going back, he's got to walk from the vineyard all the way through the city into the, the city center, most likely, is where these guys were. Like they're not on the edges of town. They're in the center part, an easy place of trans, transaction um, and, um, and movement. Every time he does that, everybody in the community is like, what is this guy doing? He's a fool. Like, he, why? One, a householder is a little lower than his task to do this in the first place, but okay, maybe again, it's a busy season, things are going on at the vineyard, but like he keeps coming back. So again, he's a fool, he doesn't know what he's doing, he's mismanaging things, why does he keep coming back? Every time he makes a trek across the city, everybody in the city is like, what is this guy doing here? Why is he here? And each time he goes back, he finds those who bravely and persistently long for the dignity to return home at the end of their workday with provision for their family. They long to be useful and to do what they were made to do. And each time the householder gives them what they long for, purpose and provision, dignity and sustenance. By now, those listening to Jesus' story would have picked up on something. That the householder was not returning again and again to place those desiring provision for life out of disorganization or inexperience, but out of compassion. By now they would have realized his return was a compassionate thing. Compassion for the needy whose desire was for life and for dignity of life and who were willingly humble to receive it. Each time. So the householder doesn't say again to these laborers, like, hey, here's some money, go home and, um, and take it to your family. He says, no, he gives them the thing that they long for, purpose, life, dignity, their humanity. And so by the end of the day, five different groups of formerly unemployed persons, all of them, remember, everybody started the day on the same thing, unemployed persons looking for dignity, right? They all started the same place. But all five groups are now busy working in the fields. And then here's the crux of the story in verse eight. Suddenly the householder becomes the Lord of the vineyard. Suddenly this employed person becomes the owner, the head of the household. And not only is he the head of the household, but he also has a steward some, somehow. He has somebody in his employment to do the things that we would have expected a steward to do all along. Where did the steward come from? Where was this guy? Why wasn't he running back and forth to the, to the, to the market, to the, to the place of the day laborers? Like that would have been the question everybody had when Jesus told this story. Like what? Where did this guy come from? Why isn't he doing this? Why hadn't this person done the hiring? What, well, like, why did the master, the Lord, the owner himself do such a lowly thing as go and bargain with day laborers, as go and invite them in and go grab them and make himself a fool as he kept going back and forth into town? Why would he have done that when he had people to do that for him? The story gets stranger. Now the steward is ordered to have the foreman pay each worker the wage in verse eight. Not their wage, the wage, the singular wage, the wage of life, of full life, of more than enough for the day, the daily bread plus some, right? He's ex he orders the foreman to do it, but he, then he tells the foreman to do it in a way that creates chaos, to do it in a way that creates disorder, that flips everything around. Because listen, if, if all he wanted to do was just be generous, 
If all he wanted to do is just be generous, he could have had the ones he hired first get paid first and leave satisfied, content. Because they had worked, they had done their due diligence, they had worked hard and they got what they agreed, agreed upon, right? That was generous, not stingy, but generous. And then, then slowly begin to give the ones who came later and later their wage, the same wage, and they would have just been surprised and excited. And then, but the other ones would have gone and, and already been excited and content with what they had and never known, right? Like everything would have been smooth. <laughs> like if he just wanted generosity, but he didn't just want generosity. He wanted everybody to know the heart and character and nature of his household and what it looked like to be a part of his household. And so he has the foreman flip it so that the ones who only worked an hour come first and they get a full day's wage. And what are they? They're joyous and excited and full and go, go not home to celebrate, but begin to celebrate right there, right? I mean, wouldn't you? Like you thought, again, everybody's thinking, I'm just gonna get what I deserve. So like, if we just wanna do the math of it, say $120 would be like a high end or whatever for a full day. Like they, like we're just doing it to keep it easy math. 12, day, 12 hours of work, $120 or whatever um, for the day labor. And so they're thinking, I worked an hour, I'm gonna get 10 bucks, 20 bucks, right? I'm gonna get $12, not, you know, something along those lines. And then to walk up and get $120, you're like, oh my gosh, this is incredible. Like, you know, all those kind of things. And you're not gonna keep that to yourself. Maybe the first person does, because they're like, oh, it's a mistake and I don't wanna go back and, and, and um, have this taken from me. Um, but by the time the third person goes and they're all like, oh man, you got the same thing. It's like, oh my gosh. So word spreads in the line because now there's a ton of workers, right? Like everybody's there, right? Um, the word spreads in the line that, oh man, these guys who worked an hour, they got 120. And the ones that worked two hours got 120. So the ones that worked 12, they're like, man, I bet when it comes to us, I could do the math too. Or maybe we're gonna get like 12 times what, what we were promised. We're gonna get this exceeding amount of, of more than what we agreed upon, right? More than what was given to us. And of course, when they get their turn, they get what they agreed to. And listen, this is not a story about um, a stingy owner, right? He gave them more than their job was worth. <laughs> he gave them the high end of things. He was not unjust with them, right? Did he do any injustice? They agreed to work for this generous amount and they received the generosity for, the, for their life, for their labor, right? For their contribution. And so, so what happens is it exposes, in, in exposing the generosity of the, the, the Lord of the vineyard, the hearts of the ones who are in the vineyard, the labors is exposed. Their hearts are not for the joy of others, their hearts are not for the fullness of life and gratitude that comes in the presence of a generous owner and king. Their heart is for more stuff for them, more for them, more prosperity for them, more prestige for them, more honor for them, more an elevation of them. Even though they all started at the same level, when they say to the landowner, their issue is you've made them equal to us. The irony of the statement is that you were all equal at the start of the day, right? Were you ever not equal? Was there ever a moment when you were not equal? That you all had need, you all had dignity, you all had capability, you all had desire, and you were all dependent upon somebody else to actuate those into something that was life. You, you were already equal. Or why do you think you're unequal now? Why do you think you're different now? 
He says, does my, does my, um, does my goodness show the evilness way that you see the world? I mean, that's what, that's what he says, right? So the householder, the Lord of Vineyard, respectfully rebukes those who have come to complain. He rebukes it, and in doing so, he exposes their assumptions. They're made-up assumptions of life in, the, in his kingdom, right? Their nature. He says in, in, uh, in, um, uh, in verse 13, but he replied to one of them, friend. Now, this is not the same word as friend in John 15. This is actually a word that means buster. Like it means chump. Like, hey, dude, seriously? Like it's a negative term always. It's one who's like, seriously? You're, you want to have this conversation right now? Like, like, seriously, you're rebuking me, buster. I mean, come on. Like it puts that person kind of in their place. It, it, it's, you know, somewhat familiar, but it's familiar in, in a rebuking sense, right? And so he says, buster, I'm doing you no injustice. Companion who's complaining, hey, you friend, like, like all of a sudden you think you can elevate yourself to have an argument with me. I'm the Lord of the vineyard. Like, like you're, you, I mean, seriously, like you're doing this right now? He says, okay, so I've agreed to you what I've offered to give you, no more than enough provision for the day and dignity. So take what you've been given and move on. Take what you've been given and go home. Go celebrate. Go be one who gets to take and show your family that you are who you've been made to be and that you have all that we need for today. Go, take, and take that. It's yours. It is yours. Go and get on with it. Go home with the same joy and fullness as those who are not complaining, who are satisfied with my compassion and generosity, the same that you've received. He says, I chose to give them only what was given to you, the wage of life and dignity. He didn't give them more. He didn't give them different. He gave them the same as he gave to you. From the first to the last, all received my compassion and my generosity, says the householder, and their dignity and their fullness. Rather than rejoicing in that fact, you started and ended the day in the same place, in need and in grace. You want to take more, to be richer than, and then have enough, to, to even though you have seen me humiliate myself, to give foolishly and generously, to lose out on my own profits for the sake of everyone else's abundance. You want more, even though you've recognized and seen me give more. Again, he's setting the nature and tone of the kingdom, the nature and tone of the household. He says, don't try and control me. <laughs> Essentially, right? That's what you're doing. Your arguments are not out of you've been wronged. Your arguments are you want to control what you get, what you receive. You want to control how I act with what is mine to act with. And then he says again at verse 15, probably the most pivotal verse, check your vision. I think in the ESV it translates it, do not begrudge my generosity, but the more little translation is, is your eye bad because I am good? Are you not seeing clearly? Are you not seeing how the world really works, truly works? My world, my dominion, my kingdom. Because it's good and you think it's bad. Because it's good and, it's, and you think it's upside down. Is your eye for justice and grace, for the truth you need provision, twisted, blurred, greedy, because the way I see people in that which is mine is different than yours. Good is what the householder says. 
So it's true, Jesus says, that the last will be first and the first will be last. Not that the last, like what were the, what were the last ones in the story? The last ones hired received the wages of the first ones hired. The first ones hired received the wages of the last ones hired. It's not an inversion, it's an equality. It's not an inversion. The kingdom doesn't just invert. It puts us all in the same place. Because listen, if we think the kingdom just inverts, who do we not like? The ones that got paid first. The ones that got more, quote unquote. Like our human propensity is to do what these guys did and argue for inequality rather than receive the equality that we have. Because they're not really arguing for equality, right? They're arguing that they deserve more than equal. Isn't that what we always do as humans? But that's not how it works in God's kingdom. It doesn't just bring down the prideful and have, have the humble step on them right? It brings the prideful and the lowly to the same place, dignified, in need, desirous to be all that they are made to be and given all that they need to be by the sacrifice and humiliation of the Lord of the vineyard. That's a tough pill to swallow, right? Sometimes. It's why the story is here, because it's a tough pill to swallow. But here's the thing, the householder or the Lord of the vineyard does what he chooses with what is his. As much as we would love to be free in our own sense to to control him, to get what we want out of life, the reality is he's the one in control. And what does he choose to do in that choosing? Chooses to be compassionate, to go back again and again. He chooses to be generous, to pay more than is needed. He chooses to dignify those who have a longing for dignity. He chooses to restore a son who returns home because he just needs to, because he doesn't have any other place to go. He, he chooses to forgive, to be humiliated, all for the sake of those under his care and in his family. So when he says, I choose to do with, with mine what is mine to do with it, what does he choose? All the, in both stories, over and over again. This is the foundational truth of God with us and God for us, which is Jesus. That the grace and truth of the king and his kingdom is that God chooses over and over again, compassion, generosity, to lift up, to dignify, to restore, to forgive, to be humiliated himself. If we miss this, we miss everything. If we miss this as the foundational nature of the king and the kingdom, we miss everything. And we find ourselves outside of the party, leaving the field with full hands. The older son had everything. It was all his. It was always his. The laborers who got there first had what was promised to them. But they're bitter. They're angry. They're divisive. If we fail to see the humiliating compassion, the essential and joyous provision of life and dignity at the heart of the king and his kingdom, how will we treat our siblings and our co-laborers? 
if we miss, if we fail to see, if, we're, if our vision's blurred by the humiliating compassion, the essential and joyous provision of life and dignity that is the heart of the king and his kingdom, how will we treat one another? Our spouses, our roommates, our neighbors, those who are different than us, those who we feel like are our enemies. How will we respond to the one to whom we owe our livelihood if we fail to see his nature? Will we grumble? Not just grumble of like, like a child, like, of, oh, I wish I had more of this, but like, like grumble in the sense of, hey, you owe me. Who are you to not give to me? Father, why haven't you done this for me? Lord of the vineyard, why have you not given me more than what I deserve? How we respond to the one to who we owe our livelihood and dignity, which has been sacrificially and freely shared with us. That's what these parables cause us to ask cause us to question, cause us to observe and comprehend in our own lives. And so here's what I'm gonna do. We've got about 15 minutes, 10, 12 minutes or so. So I want us to get in groups. If you're comfortable with that, you can stay as far apart as you feel, as you, feel you need to. And I want us to just think about these questions. Listen, you've been in the parables. We've been in them together in this time, a couple of weeks. Hopefully you've been into them at some level in, in your own life and in gospel community in between. And just ask these questions. Share these things. What about the true nature of the king and his kingdom engenders gratitude? In these stories, what about the true nature of the king and his kingdoms makes you grateful to have him as the householder, the Lord of the vineyard, to have him as the father character? What in it surprises you? It's taking you off guard. And listen, I really want us to get to this as to some level, so save some time in your conversation about it. What is difficult to believe and recognize in your daily life? about the nature of this king and his kingdom. Because listen, like it's true that sometimes it's hard to see how generous and compassionate the Lord is, compassionate the Lord is in the midst of everyday things, right? And so we need to confess that, to help each other see that, to recognize that, right? That's a part of what life together looks like for us. So break up into groups. I would say no more than four-ish or five, if you can do it. We can break up in groups, and for about 10, 12 minutes, we're just going to talk about these things. And then I'll lead us into a time of communion, and we'll finish in time of worship and song, okay? Sound good? All right. You guys ready to talk? There's coffee back there if you need it. I can't have a conversation with people without coffee, so. So talk amongst yourselves. All right, um... I know you're, you're still in the middle of discussions and everything, but just for, for sake of, of time and those that are helping with our kiddos, we're going we're gonna to kind of move into um, a response to this, right? So, so a couple of quick things. One, this story is told right following the, the, the interaction Jesus has with the rich young ruler um, and the, the disciples' um, confusion at how Jesus engages with him um, compassionately, what he calls him to do and to give up. Um, um, and Jesus' statement about being rich and having difficulty coming into the kingdom um, like a, a camel through a needle. Again, if you, if you went through the, the kind of practices um, um, made you think about this, but 
but in some ways, the, the day laborers are the exact opposite of the rich young ruler, and yet at the same time, they're meant to show us that we're all that person. <laughs> we're all ones in need. Like, right? Like, this, we're all in a place where we, where we're, we need something. The rich young ruler needed eternal life. He knew that. He just was unwilling to be a person who was in need, right? In his neediness. So Jesus tells a parable about people who begin their day needy, but who at the end of the day forget how needy they really are, right? And so we know um, how the prodigal responds to his neediness. He turns home, right? Even with an idea of, that he can figure out his, his kind of his own way of living, he, he at least returns home because he knows he's in need. We know, again, how the ones who worked an hour, how they hung on to their neediness, and saw and joy their needs met. But both stories end open. They end without an ending. We don't know how the older son responded to his, the father telling him he was just as needy. He needed the father to die to himself legally so that he could have everything that was his. We don't know how the ones who got hired first responded to the, the Lord of the vineyard when he exposes that they were always needy and were given everything that they needed and yet still challenging. Both stories end without an ending so that we might consider what we're gonna do with the stories. Will we come home to the brace of the panting king? Will we receive the wage of life, a body broken for us, a life given for us, poured out for us so that we might have it, full of it, have enough of it and more than we even need. So we do this with me. Will you stand for just a, with us? In just a moment, we're gonna sing together. And in our singing, as we sing, as we declare the praises of the Lord of the vineyard, the praises of the Father character, as we recognize in song the things that we've talked about, respond. Come and receive. Take the only step required to trust in the gracious compassion and generosity of the householder to give what is just for you. He's giving us what is just. I mean, just think about that for half a second as we sing. What he thinks is just to those that don't work a full day is everything that they need. What he thinks is just for you, who, if you're like me at all, has not quite lived up to the standards of expectations of a son, of a child, of God. He gives what is just, which is everything we need to be restored. Come and receive, receive communion, and live life to the fullest in Jesus. We pray with me. Father, we thank you that your grace is sufficient, that the gospel is all we have. Help us, Father, to be needy, dignified in our neediness, humble in our neediness, and full in the satisfaction of all that we need. through the one who gave himself that we might know you. In his name we pray, amen. Treasure found in me.
comprehend his heart and mind. It's wisdom.